Our football team has won as many games as our basketball team. No one else averages more than four. It's just hard to be good if you're playing four on five. In my first team right now, I have, I'm not going to spend time going over which of these rankings is the more reliable one to use. They all paint essentially the same picture. Welcome to Tubs at the Club, the official, unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. You can find Tubs at the Club on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, really any platform that hosts podcasts, we're there. You can also listen at tubsattheclub.com. I'm your host, Brian, and today we're going to give out our midseason All Big Sky Awards, detail Idaho's home losses to Northern Arizona and Southern Utah, preview our two upcoming games against Montana and Montana State, but first, we're going to take a look at the overall Big Sky picture and how Idaho looks in the Big Sky standings. Right now, this is not news if you're a listener, Idaho sits in last place in the Big Sky. We are 1-9 and nine in league, 4-17 and 17 overall. Sacramento State's just above us at 3-7. and seven. Idaho State is 4-7. and seven. Portland State's the next closest there, 4-6. and six. Northern Arizona, who just beat us, then lost to Eastern Washington, is five and six. Southern Utah, who just beat us, is five and six. Montana State, who just picked up a big win at Northern Colorado, is six and five. Eastern Washington is in fourth place at six and four. Weber State and Northern Colorado are tied for second or third place. They're both eight and three. And Montana is in sole possession of first place at eight and two. In terms of what that means for the Big Sky Tournament in March in Boise, Idaho, the top five teams earn buys, and then the bottom six teams all play each other, which means there's pretty much no question Idaho is going to have a first-round game. There's almost no world at this point in which we would earn a buy. Uh, But the top five teams that, if the season ended today, would be sitting out the first round and waiting to see who their second-round opponents were, those five teams are Montana State at fifth, Eastern Washington fourth, Weber and Northern Colorado were tied, but Weber would win the tie break because they beat Northern Colorado. And then finally, Montana sits the top. They're eight and two, like I said, 15 and six overall. Now, in terms of our how I believe the all-league teams should look, um, usually the league does three league teams, uh, first team, second team, third team, then honorable mention. I'm going to give out my midseason awards for first team all big sky. I'm going to do second team all big sky, and I'm going to skip third team and just list a handful of honorable mentions. And also a formatting issue. Because the big sky is different than some conferences where the player of the year in a conference won't make a first team, let's say they're they're just the player of the year. In the big sky, the teams are all five players except the first team includes the player of the year and then five so there's six total but my first team right now i have player of the year jordan davis he's a senior guard from northern colorado he's averaging 24 points a game 4.9 assists shooting 51.2 percent from the field he's kind of like the big skies version of russell westbrook he's you know not the elite athlete let's say russell westbrook is but for big sky basketball he's fast he gets the rim and he's shooting pretty dang well. 
Um, rounding out the rest of my first team, I have Jarek Harding, his guard for Weber State, averaging 22.5 points a game on 49% from the field while shooting six free throws per game. Uh, from Montana, I have both senior guard Ahmad Rory and senior forward Jamara Coe. Rory averages 17.4 a game, 4.1 rebounds per game, and 3.5 assists. He's their most steady player, and he also, even though his scoring isn't in the you know 20-point-a-game realm that Jordan Davis and Jarek Harding is, uh, Ahmad Rory is a, he's the most steady performer for Montana. He's probably not their most important player. I think that's Jamarico. When a co plays well, Montana's great. If he's not playing well, they're just good. Um, Jamarico is the slightly less steady version um, on, on their roster. He's averaging 17 points a game, 9.4 rebounds, 57.8% from the field. Now his field goal percentage is high because he only shoots close shots, but he's, he's big. He's the best back-to-the-basket player in the big sky, and that's why him and Rory are both in my first team. Then I have senior guard Tyler Hall from Montana State. This is the one point of departure I have from a lot of the major big sky media, which is Tyler Hall to me is probably my second to last inclusion on the first team all big sky, um, which is different from a lot of other, a lot of other different media organizations. Tyler Hall has, he owns the big sky scoring record for, for his career. He's averaged better than 18 points Every season he's been at Montana State. This year he's averaging 22.2 points a game, shooting 40% from behind three-point line on nine and a half three-point attempts per game, which is just incredible volume. I have him lower because I don't think he actually impacts the game as much as Ahmad Rory does or Jarek Harding does or Jordan Davis does. Even though Tyler Hall scores almost five points a game more than Ahmad Rory it's just the way the guys play. Tyler Hall scores mostly on pull-up jumpers and step-back jumpers. He has a, the kind of offense where you can't stop him from getting up his shots, but if it were any player other than Tyler Hall, he shoots a ton of what almost every coach in the United States would call just terrible shots, but he's an elite shooter, so he makes them. But there's he doesn't really attract any extra attention, which is why he was... I reluctantly included him in my first team. And then final inclusion on the first team, this is this is the forward. Uh, he's a starter for Weber State. He's a transfer from University of Utah, according to the Tutel Nuanez show, which is the ESPN drive time show out of Missoula, the probably best daily Big Sky coverage that exists, according to Coulter Nuanez. Brekat Chapman, he's the forward I'm including. He transferred from University of Utah after not being able to beat out Kyle Kuzma for minutes. He played last year as their three, or he plays a wing last year, averaged around 10 a game. This year they moved him to the four, so he plays more post. He's averaging 14.4 points a game. By the way, all the stats I referenced are in-conference stats. Those are the ones I think we should care about. Uh, Breckout Chapman's averaging 14.4 points a game. 10.5 rebounds, leads the league. Also leads the league in blocks at two blocks per game. Shoots 50% from the field, but different from Jamara Coe who shoots 57.8% from the field on mostly in-close shots. Breckout Chapman also shoots threes. Now, he, he hits around 35% on his threes, but if he's hitting 50% from the field and he does shoot threes, that means when he gets it inside, he scores quite well. He was my the last guy I included because he dropped off a little bit their last couple games when Weber State lost back-to-back games to Montana, then Portland State, but... Outside of those two games, to me, Chapman was really no question. 
uh, probably the second best overall forward, maybe the the best two way player on the fir- on our first team. But it became a little bit difficult to include in let's say the top half of the first team after struggling in a couple big games recently. Uh, but those those six guys: Jordan Davis, Jarek Harding, Ahmad Rory, Jamara Coe, Tyler Hall, and Breckout Chapman. That makes my first team All Big Sky. Second team All Big Sky, I have. Michael Ogine from University of Montana. That's the third Montana Grizzly on the first two teams. And I have a third Weber State Wildcat in Zach Braxton. He's a forward. He's a senior from Weber State. The reason I put those two in, they're a little bit of a surprise if you look at their box score. Ogine averages 12.9 points a game. Braxton averages 11.4 points a game. That feels a little bit low to be on a second-team all-league roster. But I include them because those two guys are just freakishly efficient. And those two guys are what allow Weaver State and Montana to have four strong players in their starting lineup and all get shots up. You know, Michael Guine, as a shooting guard, he's averaging 13 points a game on eight field goal attempts. That's as a guard. That's incredible uh, to be able to score at that level while getting such few shot attempts, you know, compared to even on just the University of Montana roster, he gets about the fourth most shots per game, and he's putting up stats that University of Idaho would love to have a guy who's scoring anywhere near that. Zach Braxton's quite similar. He's a post, so most of his shots are close. He shoots 68.9% from the field. He's averaging 11.4 points a game on 5.5 shot attempts. That is more than two points per shot attempt. Now he can do that because he gets the free throw line, but that's just unbelievable efficiency to have a guy like Zach Braxton or a guy like Mike Ogine who can score at that level with just barely any looks. These are two guys who they feel like the fourth option's on their team, but to me it's no question. You watch them play. These guys have to make some sort of all-big sky team. I have them on my second. Rounding out the second team, I have forward Mason Peatley from Eastern Washington. He's a junior, averaging 17.4 points a game, 7.3 rebounds per game, shooting 60% from the field. He's, he's a post. He'll be back next year. He's a guy who, when you watch, he's just a teeny bit underwhelming, which that is a terrible sale, sale job of putting him on a second-team all-league team. But Eastern Washington is in the top half of the league. You know, uh, Mason Peatling has put together some pretty strong games, so he, he doesn't have to just jump off the screen when you watch him. You can look. He fills in the box score. He's their top scorer. There's no question Eastern has to have at least one guy in there, and Mason Peatling, to me, is no question the player who should make one of their all-league teams. Next time, Marcus Graves from Sacramento State, partially based off how we saw Marcus Graves play against us, he has really picked it up in the second quarter of league play. He has his field goal percentage up above 40, which for me was a, a benchmark for having him make the team. He's averaging 17.4 points a game, 5.4 assists, 3.8 rebounds per game. And rounding out my second team, I have Harold Frey. He's a starting point guard from Montana State. He's a junior. He averages 18.1 points a game, 5.7 assists per game, shoots 39.7% from behind the arc on 5.8 attempts per game. Honorable mention for me include Saeed Pritchett, forward. He's a senior forward from the University of Montana, averages 12 points a game. Cody John, junior guard from Weber State, averages 12.5 points a game. I'm going to pause. That's four players from both Weber State and Montana who made my honorable mention or first two all-league teams. The way I put this together is though I did have a baseline statistical threshold, I cared more about 
a player looking like one of the best players on the floor when I watch him than I did about him, let's say, being top 10 point, points per game scoring, which is why Saeed Pridgett and Cody John both made my honorable mention team, even though they only average around 12 a game. And, you know, like I said a minute ago, that's why Michael Ogine and Zach Braxton made my second team when Ogine scores 13 a game and Braxton scores 11.4 points a game. They contribute in other ways. Uh, rounding out my honorable mention team, I have Holland Woods. He's a sophomore point guard from Portland State. Holland Woods was included on the preseason All-Big Sky team. I don't have him on either of my two teams uh, for really three reasons. One, he averages 4.5 turnovers per game, which is huge for a point guard. Two, he's shooting 37% from the field on 12 field goal attempts per game, shooting under 25% from three. At that type of volume, a guy just can't miss that many shots. That's part of why Portland State is struggling the way they are. Certainly, it's not only Holland Woods, but because of those three main stats, that's why I don't have him on my first or second team. But the positives for him, the reason he's on the honorable mention list, he averages 14.4 points a game, 5.2 assists per game, 3.6 rebounds a game, while also getting to the line to shoot 5.2 free throws per game. He's a guy who next year will, no question, be preseason All-Big Sky again. I expect him to make an All-Big Sky team for sure next year. You know, this has just been an up-and-down year for Portland State. They have an odd roster and that they have a ton of transfers, so they're kind of like Southern Utah in some ways in that even though the roster is upperclassmen heavy, it's not upperclassmen like the University of Idaho will be in a couple of years where these are guys who played together for a couple of years at Portland State. A lot of those guys have just been there this year, and it's taken some time for them to gel. They've won a few games now. Uh, you know, they're no longer in the cellar with us, so Portland State's overall performance is looking better. They're moving towards the middle of the pack. But I, I don't think Holland Woods should be included on the top two team at this point. Next, I have Idaho's representation on these teams, Trayvon Allen. You guys know who he is. He's our junior guard, averages 15.2 points a game in conference, four rebounds, 2.3 assists, shoots 47% from the field. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him later, so I'm not going to go into further detail. And final inclusion on the honorable mention, I have Jacob Davison, who these numbers, all these numbers I, I picked up, they are off sportsreference.com, which needs... It will be updated for the Monday games at the end of tonight, but I'm recording Monday night after the Monday games. Jacob Davison is averaging 18 points a game, although that was inflated a bit after scoring 41 against Northern Arizona Monday or tonight while I'm recording. Heading into that game, he'd been averaging 15.6 points a game, three rebounds, shooting 44.8% from the field. Again, another reason why Eastern was, looks like they're starting to really shape up is they're getting production from other players they hadn't earlier in the year. Jacob Davis is one of those, and he's a sophomore. We're going to hear more about him over the next couple of years. To me, he's another guy who I will be floored if Davison is not um, at least considered for preseason All-Big Sky next year. But we'll see. We have, we have a lot of time before we get there. But that's the, that's the gist of my list. It's not so different from a couple of the preseason lists, uh, sorry, midseason award lists that I've seen. You know, if you guys are curious about any more thoughts on my me putting together this list, make sure to ask me a question on Twitter via hashtag AskTATC. That's hashtag AskTATC. And now we're going to shift into what's going on with Idaho. And it's rough. No question. I don't say this with any sort of enjoyment. I don't say this with any hyperbole intended. This is meant as a diagnostic term. Right now, 
the University of Idaho is competing for the title of the worst team in the nation. There are 353 Division I men's basketball programs in the nation. I checked the three major sources that have analytic rankings. Analytic rankings combine your in-game performance with your strength schedule. Those three metrics, all these are trusted in the sports world. They're, these are all sources that are used in terms of either making projections for sports gambling or they are used in making projections for NCAA tournament seeds. They are used by websites like ESPN when ESPN creates a percentage prediction before a game of how likely one team is to win versus how likely the other team is to lose. And Idaho, in the Ken Palm ranking, in NCAA net and RPI, we are bad. In Ken Palm ranking, we are ranked number 346 out of 353. NCAA net ranking, we're a little bit better, 334 out of 353. And in RPI, we split the difference. We are ranked 342 out of 353. I'm not going to spend time going over which of these rankings is the more reliable one to use. They all paint essentially the same picture. If you're listening to this podcast, you know Idaho's bad. This is how bad we are. We are bottom five percentile in the nation right now. It is hard to get excited. It is hard to want to go to the games, and you can tell how well we're doing in terms of attendance by just watching on Pluto TV. You can also just look up how we're doing attendance-wise, where though this does not include the Southern Utah game, which will actually help us attendance-wide, Idaho's averaging 916 people per home game. Worst in the conference. The only team that is worse than us is Sacramento State, who averages 671. But Sacramento State, their gym only holds 1,012 people. So it's not like Sacramento State has any growth. You know, I don't think we should compare ourselves to Sacramento State when we're looking at things like attendance or facilities because Sacramento State has just awful basketball facilities. But for the rest of the conference, who we can compare ourselves to, the only other team that's really even close to us is Northern Arizona. They average 1,000 fans. Eastern Washington averages 1,236. But Eastern Washington started off the year just awful. So that number is growing a little bit relative to what it had been earlier. You know, when, when you have a bottom five percentile team, again, I don't know how else to quantify what people should be expecting um, other than for us to not have much enthusiasm. And in our, in our two games, we saw a lot of what we had seen before. Saturday, we lost to Northern Arizona 73 to 86. Northern Arizona was led by junior Ted McCree. He scored 24 points while shooting 8 of 13 from behind the arc. Second leading scorer is Bernie Andre. He scored 20 points on 15 shots, also picked up 11 rebounds. On the Idaho side, we were led by the freshman duo of Jared Rodriguez and Cam Tyson. Jared Rodriguez gra- scored 19 points on 13 shots, pulled down four rebounds, but did have three turnovers. Cam Tyson scored 13 points, but it took 13 shots to get there, including two of nine from behind the arc. He also pulled down four rebounds. Scott Blakeney had a nice game, which is about the kind of post he is. You know, Scott Blakeney is not going to be at any point in his career an all-big sky post. He's not big enough. He's not athletic enough. He doesn't have a a good enough jump shot. 
for him to be in that discussion. He scored eight points and had four rebounds. That's solid. That's the kind of con- contribution we need to see out of Scott. And Trayvon Allen had a real rough game, scored six points, shot two of 14 from the field, dished out one assist. Now, I talked a while back about the difficulty in the mid-range game. Oh, and this is we are now seeing the, the dark side for Trayvon Allen of the mid-range game because mid-range game, for that to be efficient offensively, the, the player has to shoot between 55 and 60% from the field on a lot of contested shots. Trayvon Allen was doing that against schools like University of Montana. He hasn't done that for a little bit. The Northern Arizona game, I'm hoping, is a low point for him. But for we just can't have our upperclassman leader scoring six points on 14 shots. We're going to quantify points per shot in a little bit, but I don't think I need to go into that much detail. You know, Trayvon's had a strong season. I, in, I have him on my honorable mention all-league team because he's played well for lots of season, but we don't have the offensive margin for error to have a guy like Trayvon play like that, especially if Cam Tyson, our second leading scorer, scoring 13 points on 13 shots is not great work from an efficiency standpoint. And yeah, that's about it. I mean, it was a 13 point game that we lost Northern Arizona, but it really wasn't that close. We scored a few points in the last few possessions to get it closer. It, it, it was almost a 20 point game for almost the entire second half. And then on Monday, which that's the day I'm recording. That's why some of the stats that I uh, have referenced, I've said they may be different if you look them up when you listen or some of them will be different if you look them up tomorrow because sports reference doesn't update their website until the day after game we lost to southern utah tonight 65 to 70 65 to 75 and you know again it it felt a lot uh a a lot like the northern arizona game Uh, sorry 65 75 64 was the final score but the southern utah game felt a lot like the northern arizona game and that it was close at the start, then Southern Utah kind of walked away with it. You know, for Southern Utah, they didn't have two guys score 20 or more points like Northern Arizona did. They had four guys scoring double figures, led by Arizona State transfer Andre Adams. He scored 23 points, grabbed 14 rebounds, scored those 23 points on nine total shots, went nine for nine from the field. But uh, that, to me, that really wasn't a fluke. Andre Adams was shooting close shots. They were good shots. Um, if he... He gets shots like that against other teams. He's going to shoot close to nine for nine from the field. That's what happened against us. We were led by Cam Tyson, who had a much stronger game, scored 20 points, made six threes, six out of 12 from behind the arc, seven out of 16 overall. Trayvon Allen scored 11 points, another rough game, four 12 from the field. But good news, he did pick up five assists. That's, that's important for Trayvon to be able to contribute in ways other than just scoring, especially if he's going to be relying on that mid-range game like we've talked about before. Uh, last year, Rodriguez added nine points for us and 10 rebounds, but he did so on four of 10 from the field. You know, and these two games exhibited essentially the exact same pattern Idaho's had in our six-game losing streak for almost the entire six games. We start off the game okay, and obviously every game starts off 0-0, zero to zero, so it should start okay. But, I mean, we, we hang with teams for around nine minutes. Then the team separates, and the game's essentially over after 10 minutes. Happened in both the Southern Utah game and the NAU game. You know, a positive we can take from this is against Northern Arizona, Idaho had our first offensive rating of over 100. 100 
as an offensive rating is the the benchmark for whether your offense is okay. When you're above 100, you're starting to move into being maybe good. We had our first offensive rating over 100 since January 5th at Northern Colorado. That is a long gap. Uh, we had a rating of 102.8 against Northern Arizona. I'm going to guess, uh, and the stat hasn't posted yet from Sports Reference against Southern Utah, I'm going to guess our offensive rating was probably similar to what it looked like against Northern Arizona. But there was some bad news in, in these games. Against NAU, Idaho had our third worst defensive rating of the, of the entire season, not just the conference season, I mean the entire season. We had a defensive rating of 121.1. Our worst defensive rating was 132.9 versus Weber State. Our second worst was the first game of the year, 132.3 versus UC Irvine. We were just bad defensively against NAU. They got essentially any shot they wanted. And the Southern Utah game, though I don't have the defensive rating to go over, it looked really close uh, to, to what we saw against NAU, which is the general pattern of the game is NAU and Southern Utah got the shots they wanted, and Idaho had to work for them. You know, against Northern Arizona, the top two scorers for the Lumberjacks scored 44 points on 31 shots. That's an average of 1.42 points per shot. As a reference point, my midseason player of the year, Jordan Davis, the league MVP, if I could give this award out right now, he's averaging 1.42 points per shot. We essentially let Northern Arizona have two Jordan Davises out there against us. It's just going to be hard to beat that. And our top two scores, when you compare output, our top two guys scored 31 points on 28 shots or 1.1 points per shot, which even though that might sound like not that much, it's a 0.32 difference per, per shot. That 0.3 difference is the gap between being okay, you know, not terrible, and first team all league. We played as though we're a team that doesn't have really anyone who should be considered in in an all-league team against Northern Arizona, and NAU played as though they had two league MVPs. This somehow got worse against Southern Utah. Top three scorers for Southern Utah scored 51 points on 28 shots, or 1.8 points per shot, Guys, that is LeBron James-level stats if he were playing college basketball. That isn't – this isn't points, you know, per made shot. They almost averaged two points per field goal attempt in their for their top three scores. Our top three scores scored 40 points on 38 shots or 1.05 points per shot, which that's indicative of strong defense if the best scores are barely scoring above a point a shot. We yielded almost almost a made two-pointer every time one of the top three scores for Southern Utah shot the ball. I don't know how else to quantify this. This is freakishly bad defense. And if we're going to play defense like that, we're going to have to offensively be so elite, so creative, and so relentless that you wouldn't recognize this Vandal team from any Don Verlin team we've ever had because that's Don Verlin has not been famous for having aggressive, creative offenses, and that has not changed this year. You know, in big picture, you know, we are 11th in scoring offense in, in the conference. That's last place. We average 65 points per game, 
Montana State's top at 82.3. That's almost 20 points a game average. And that's what I mean a second ago when I said, if we're going to just purge points at that rate, we have to score real well. We would need to play like Montana State. We need to play a spread offense. We would need to be aggressive, driving to the hoop, and we would be need we would need to push the ball almost every possession. Don Verlin's not doing that. Um, now, part of it's rebounding. We'll get to that. But if we're going to have a defense as bad as we do, we have to have an elite offense. Now, our overall scoring points per game defense sounds better than it is. We're eighth right now in the conference at giving up 76.4 points per game. The best defense in the league relative to points per game is Northern Colorado. They give up 67.4 points a game. But we play a slow pace. If we are in the bottom four in league in terms of how many points we allow per game and we don't play a very fast pace, it's just hard to win the basketball game. And that's how you have... That's how Idaho has the 11th worst or league worst scoring margin of negative 11.3 points per game. That's how many points we lose by on average. Montana, top in scoring margin, they win by an average of 11.2. So it's a 22.5 point gap. We have the worst rebounding margin in conference where we get out rebounded by, by an average of 5.9 rebounds per game. Best rebounding team is Montana. They out rebound teams by 4.8 per game. We are 11th in block shots at 1.4 a game. Weber State leads the league at five blocks, blocks per game. By the way, these are all league stats. Um, and we are 11th in assists per game at one point, at 11.4 assists per game. Montana State leads the league in assists. They have 15.5. And we have the worst turnover margin of negative 2.7. Montana State has the best at positive 3.18. There's really not a lot of other ways to look at this. We are... Awful at defense, I think historically awful at defense. Haven't had a single Big Sky game yet with a defensive rating below 100. Um, and actually, it gets worse. Our defensive, our defensive rating in the Big Sky, uh, we've only had three defensive ratings in the Big Sky below 110. 110 is a bad defensive rating. That's a average, that means we are surrendering 1.1 points per possession for the other team. Now you got to keep in mind that counts the possessions where teams just turn the ball over off a bad pass or a, a non, non-score gets a shot or the team accidentally takes a terrible shot because they, they get towards the end of the shot clock. That counts all those possessions too. So if you remove those possessions, teams are really, as long as they don't screw it up against, against Idaho, they are getting essentially whatever they want. And I, it is so, so simple to say and it's so hard to be complex about this. I don't even know how to talk about we have to do better defense. We give up points off rebounds. We give up points in the post. We give up points on penetration. You know, against Northern Arizona, Todd McCree, he made eight threes. They weren't tough threes. They were all wide open threes. He's not, you know, I've talked about how Cameron Tyson is not a very good sh- shot creator at this point. McCree is a worse shot creator than Cameron Tyson. All his shots were wide open almost. Northern Arizona did something that I don't know why we haven't done, which is when we pressed Northern Arizona, they put McCree on the opposite end of the court in the corner. Because then if you break that press, you've got an open corner three whenever you want. Now, some, some people would rather have you try to get to the hoop if you break a press. I'm not going to argue with that. But if you got an elite shooter, that makes sense. That's where they should go on the press. Well, we have Cam Tyson handle the ball in the press all the time, partially because of how much difficulty we've had with point guard play. 
But, you know, again, every facet you can talk about in defense, we, we lose. We, we give up pretty easy points. We give up easy shots. And on offense, we're just not creative enough. We are just – we don't have enough shot creators. We I, – I can tell you, I watch every game, man. I'm getting to the point that if I see – every time I see us run that exact same offensive set where our point guard's at the top of the key, we have our two guards run across the key to receive screens from posts on the opposite side, and then those posts try to seal for position after the pass has been made to the wing. You know, we do that with only one potential scoring threat in the post, which is Jared Rodriguez. Our other posts, when they do that, for the most part, what they do is they, they just make it impossible to drive. Um, it also, to me, is a wasted possession in that, you know, I, I have gone ad nauseum about how I feel we should be aggressive in trying to get Cam Tyson like 12-3 attempts per game. Um, I would much rather have us be running plays where Tyson runs through multiple screens to get an open shot earlier, or it doesn't even just have to be Tyson. It can be Raekwon Mitchell. It can be Geno Westman he's in. It could be Trayvon Allen sometimes. It could be Jared Rodriguez for that point. He's a solid three-shooter. Any of that could be could be fine. Um, we're just not very creative on offense, and we're awful at defense. So there, there's not much else to do. You know, we're at the midway point of the season. We have two Division One wins. We have seven double-digit Big Sky losses. We do have two single-digit Big Sky losses, and our one Big Sky win was a single-digit win. But overall, I don't see a lot of hope at this point. We're we're halfway through the Big Sky season. We're gonna replay all these teams. We're on a six game losing streak, guys. We're we're not ascending or we're not showing a lot of growth that I can see. You know, I thought I actually think we looked much better earlier in the season than we do now. You know, some of that's losing Markel Frazier and the depth that he provided, but you know, some of that is we're pretty late in the season for this team to feel like it doesn't have an offensive identity. And that's part of the, that's one of the critiques. I, I feel it's safe to put on the coaching staff. You know, I don't like to, I've talked about this before. I don't like to run a show where I go on and on about how the coaches are doing off or something like that. But we are at a point where this team has essentially no offensive identity. That's a coaching problem. Um, it's a, I know that we have young players and I know that a lot of those young players, the way we should understand growing pains, like we talked about last week is, Growing pains doesn't just mean up and down performance. Growing pains means these guys shouldn't be on the floor right now, but they have to be. Um, I, I understand and accept all that, but we're pretty late into the year to be coming down the floor against teams without great defenses like Southern Utah. Southern Utah is not a strong defensive team by any means. We are way too late in the year to be coming down the floor against Southern Utah and not know the the way we can aggressively pursue shots. We're, we're running the exact same sets we're running against just about every team. And I've talked about how I think we are making a mistake at the point guard position uh, in that Trayvon Allen is a much better shooting guard. He is much better at just being an aggressive player off ball. I would much rather have that be his role, uh, but it's not. Um, we're not moving that direction. I've talked about how I would much rather see us trying to get Cam Tyson 12-15 shots every single game it's not happening the way i would like it to you know, I, i've talked about how i think jared rodriguez needs to play at the wing more but it's just not happening so i man, i don't know how that's going to shift and to me that's the kind of stuff that i think it's fair um, to be critical of the coaches uh the coaches with I, I don't like the sweeping hot takes of you know the coach can't win in the postseason or something like that i, I want to hear people talk about specific strategy 
And for me, the offensive strategy of Idaho is just far too simple relative to the off relative to the wing and guard heavy roster we have. We clog the the lane with non-scorers trying to post up far too much. And it doesn't give us good looks. We have sharpshooters, but we don't aggressively try to have them get good looks. We try to run really almost the exact same offensive set all the time. And sometimes they get good looks when the defense falls asleep, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And that's about it. I, again, I don't know how to further contextualize this. You know, What I think we can now do is we got to say, hey, what are the things we can hope will turn around? And the biggest thing we have to hope for isn't on the floor. We, as Vandal fans, need to hope that Jack Wilson, the four-star transfer from Morgan State, will be eligible for the second semester next year. We have to hope he's the real deal. We have to hope his back's okay. And we have to hope that by adding a, a legit seven-footer who's an athlete, who also has some perimeter skills, we have to hope that he will be an all-big sky player for us. Because that's how, that's how we turn our post situation around. Both Blakeney and, uh, and Smiths right now, uh, Cash Smiths Francisco, both those guys, do not look to me like starting posts if you want your post to be productive like Jamar Coe from Montana or like either Breckett Chapman or Zach Braxton from Weber State. Blakeney and Cash Smith-Francisco, that's just not who they are. I, I don't know if they'll ever be that way. Blakeney's a little bit short and not athletic enough to score like a Coe or Braxton or Chapman. Uh, Smith Francisco is a little bit bigger, a little more springier, but he also, you know, he's got to develop his touch a lot. He scored seven points last in both of our last two games, which is a great sign for him. But I don't see either of those guys as impact players next year the way we would need them to be if we're going to keep clogging up the lanes like our offense is doing. So for us, the big hope, Jack Wilson's got to be healthy. He might be the guy who can fix our rebounding and help us have, have an inside-outside game. We don't have this year, and we're not going to have this year. We need to hope Markel Frazier recovers from his hip surgery. He can play all year next year, and then he finds a jump shot. While he played, he showed he could be a great role player, a solid, almost double-double kind of guy who you don't want him as a primary ball handler. You don't want him as your top scorer, but if he's your third or fourth best scorer, your team can be okay, and he was one of our better defenders. We need to hope he's back for next year and ready to play. We need to hope we see more of the good things we've seen from Cameron Tyson, Jared Rodriguez this year, which to me is creativity and getting Cam Tyson shots, which means more plays, not the, not just the offensive sets. And we have to try to get some transition looks for him. You know, we, we can also hope that we start seeing him put the ball on the floor a little bit more. Uh, we did see Victor Sanders when he was here improve in that regard from his freshman year to his sophomore year. We got to hope that he picks up some sort of off the dribble game so we can get shots created for him. Cause right now I'm concerned that we will not use him in a way where we'll see his production increase in a linear kind of way. And that, you know, next year he'll just be the same, you know, 15 point a game score. Actually, if you think about it, there's a chance some of our guys could score less, you know, cause if Jack Wilson scoring points, that takes away opportunities from Trayvon Allen, takes away potential opportunities from Cam Tyson. So if we're going to see increased production out of him, he's got God also be able to put the ball on the floor. He's, he's shown a little bit more aggressiveness as the years worn on, which is positive. But we also just got to work to get him more shots. And I don't know how to talk about that without saying we, we need to be creative. We, we are not aggressive at running plays for the guy. Watch the game. You'll see we run, we run a very specific set almost every time down the floor. It's the exact same thing. I would love to coach against the University of Idaho offense. Um, shifting from there, you know, in terms of Jared Rodriguez, he looks more comfortable 
if in the post against shorter guys. He doesn't look comfortable in the post as a default post player. Um, so I don't want to see Jared Rodriguez work in the post as much as he has been this year. I want to see him in the post only if it's a mis- mismatch. Other than that, I want to see him working from the wing. I want to see him from the ball on the floor. And he's been hitting threes pretty well, at least the last two games. He's hit four of his four or six threes against NAU and Southern Utah. We, we need to hope we keep seeing his shot develop so he can be more aggressive from behind the arc. And we also have to hope that the Trayvon Allen from, from middle of the season returns. You know, he's 6-26 in his last two games. You know, that's the dark side that I talked about, the mid-range game. And that's not a Trayvon Allen only thing. And that's why the mid-range game is not as popular as it once was. Because the guys don't get the free throw line. Guys often don't create shots for others. Mid-range guys also often don't make a ton of threes. Allen's starting to miss his threes, which, by the way, we knew that because he hasn't been an elite three-shooter at Idaho. So when he started out the conference season hot, we had to know that was going to temper off a little bit. It has. Um, The positive thing I can say is we have seen a few more games where Trayvon Allen's getting more assists. You know, against Southern Utah, he had five. That's a big deal. I mean, it was either it was against Portland State. I believe he had four or five. That that's a big deal. If he's going to play a point, we need to see more of that. I think he's better suited off the ball. But if we're going to play him at point, um, that's a that's a part of his game. He's got to improve because we can't afford to have a guy who shoots six twenty six out there and doesn't contribute in other ways. He did contribute against Southern Utah in generating assists. So that's positive. We got to hope we see more of that. And last, we have to hope this year we start seeing, seeing some more production from our fourth through ninth men. You know, this team only has four total players averaging more than four points a game. Trayvon Allen, Cameron Tyson, Jared Rodriguez, and Scott Blakeney. No one else averages more than four. It's just hard to be good if you're playing four on five. It's just hard to be good when if one of those four guys that I talked about, Alan Tyson, Rodriguez, or Blakeney, if the, one of those four isn't on the floor, we're playing three on five offensively. It's just hard to beat anyone. And I, I don't really know what, how else to go, um, you know, how, how deeper to go with this, guys. You know, I, you, if you listen, you know I try to go over specific parts of our game. I try to break down some very, very specific parts of our game plan what's working what's not working i don't like to live in the world of hot takes i like to give examples of why i believe something's working or why it's not if you have only four guys producing offense at all it's just hard to be good by the way scott blakeney's not scoring double figures he averages like six if i change that threshold to averaging more than six points a game we only got we only have three guys doing that and we only have three guys doing that trayvon allen cam tyson jared rodriguez we cannot afford to have any of them have an off night. And, you know, against Southern Utah, Cam Tyson had a, a good shooting night. Trayvon Allen didn't. And that's not to say the loss is on Allen. It's absolutely not on Trayvon Allen. But if we only have three guys producing, we can't afford to have a single one of them not show up. And that's what we had against Southern Utah. By the way, Jared Rodriguez didn't have a, a great game against Southern Utah either. You know, it, he scored nine points on only 10 shots. Um, that's two of our three guys not showing up on offense. Um, hard to win when we have production like we have. You know, against Northern Arizona, Jared Rodriguez was the guy who showed up. Cam Tyson scored 13, but 13 points on 13 shots is not great. And Trayvon Allen had his worst game of the season probably, or at least for a long time, his worst game, shooting 2-14. You know, if those two guys don't show up when we go over what our production for man 3 through 9 is, you're just not going to beat anyone. And, you know, that that's how it looks right now. You know, we, we need to start viewing this as are we seeing growth 
Are we back to where we were early in the year where it felt like there was reason to be optimistic? Because right now, I'm not feeling the same optimism that I was after we lost Weber State, but we had a great second half against Weber State. Or then after we, we carried that strong offense against Weber State into the first half against Eastern for a win. You know, I was happy I, when I saw that. I knew we weren't going to be doing that well in the league, but man, I didn't think we'd be this bad. I didn't think we'd be truly in discussion for worst team in the nation. Again, I don't mean that as put down. I don't mean that to be needlessly negative. The metrics say we're in the discussion for worst team in the nation. Now, we have the honest caveat of youth, and what listeners understand we mean when youth is, when we say youth is, a ton of guys are playing right now that just shouldn't see the floor. Maybe they should redshirt. Maybe it should be spot duty. But they're, they're just in a position where they shouldn't be on the floor, and they have to be. We know that's part of our makeup. But it's tough. It's tough to keep watching these games and get excited. And things do not get easier in our next two games when we travel to Missoula and then we travel to Bozeman to, cl- to close out the Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day week. You know, the matchups we have this week, they're, they're tough for us. You know, we, we play University of Montana Thursday, February 7th at 6 o'clock. Now, that's 6 o'clock instead of 7 because Montana is mountain time. So it's a one-hour difference. For them, it is a 7 o'clock tip-off. But for us, we'll, it'll feel like 6. And that's on Pluto TV. You know, the first matchup, we played Montana in Moscow. We lost 51-69. to 69. Hung close with them for three quarters of the game. Then they really stepped on it the last 10 minutes. Uh, Montana just pounded us. Took a three-point game in the last 10 minutes. Turned into an 18-point game. That The Montana game was probably Trayvon Allen's best game of the year. That's when he had those uh, 24 points on 18 shots that I brought up before. And that was when he was looking like um, Allen was looking like he's maybe a second team all league kind of guy. And he struggled since then. You know, Montana really is kind of where Idaho in our early league play, you know, we started off ugly against Idaho state, but then we were close against Weaver state. And then we beat Eastern Washington. And then we were close, pushed Northern Colorado to overtime then we lost by 10 to Montana State, which I'll get to in a second, but we were competitive that game. It was the Montana game that really we turned a corner in the opposite direction that we want to do. That's really the game our season started to look pretty bad to me. You know, we lost that game in Moscow by 18, and Montana is a singularly bad matchup for Idaho. You know, Montana has the third best scoring defense in terms of points per game. They average 80.2 points per game. But they're an efficient offensive team. They play a slow pace, yet they still are number three in the conference in scoring. That's incredible. They are the second best scoring defense in the league. They give up 69 points a game, and they have the league best scoring margin of 11.2 points per game. I bring that up because in the statistical world, the single most predictive, simple stat that isn't an analytic kind of metric where we're using ratios or we're isolating certain types of shots. The single most predictive, simple statistic in basketball and football is scoring margin. Teams that have a higher scoring margin, what that usually means, and this is just going to sound, again, profoundly simple. If you have a big scoring margin, it means you're just better than everyone else. Montana has the best scoring margin in the league. They They on average win by 11 points a game. They have the second best field goal percentage in the league at 48.7%. 
They have the second best field goal defense percentage in the league. They teams shoot 42.2% against them. They have the best rebounding margin in the league at plus 4.8. And they have the second best attendance in the league at 4,488. Almost five times what Idaho averages is a Montana average night. And that's what happens when you have a winning program. And by the way, in Missoula, they consider that disappointing that they only get 4,488 per game. In Missoula, their radio or their media sources are kind of curious about why, why are they only averaging 4,500 people per game? Why isn't it closer to six? You know, this has been a good team for a while. What does Montana need to do to get more fans in there? They're five times what we're at. And that's the kind of questions that they're asking themselves. And those are the great, those are great questions to be able to ask yourself when you are good like Montana is, where Montana is expected to not just make the NCAA tournament, but maybe win the NCAA tournament. In Montana, they're disappointed that the Grizzlies have two conference losses this year. They're two bad losses to Eastern and Portland State. They shouldn't have lost either game. They should be undefeated at this point. But Montana, in their fans' minds, is underperforming this year at first place in the league, 8-2, and two, halfway through the league season. That's how good this team is. We've seen them before. Their core players are the guys who made my first team all, all midseason Big Sky team, Jamar Cohn and Mod Rory, Akosa Post, Probably the best back-to-basket player in the league. Rory is a guard. They both average about 17 points a game. Rory has a game kind of similar to Trayvon Allen's, except he's been much more steady and he's a much stronger defender. We don't have a guy to compare to, compare to, to Jamarco. Jamarco just won Big Sky Player of the Week after tearing apart Idaho State and Weber State. We're going to have to hope that a co gets in foul trouble or we're going to have to double him and hope they miss shots. That's our, that's our chance in terms of the, uh, the offensive end against Montana. There are other two guys who are all league caliber. Saeed Pridget is a wing junior. Michael Ogini is a guard senior. They both average around 13 points a game. Those four guys are, those four guys win games essentially on their own. Uh, Montana doesn't have, they don't get much out of their fifth starter. Bobby Moorhead He's more of a defensive player. They get a little production out of the bench, but really it, it's about a co Rory, Pridget, Nogine on the offensive end. And then Montana on the defensive end, they suffocate teams and they out-rebound you and they have better, they have strong athletes. You know, for Idaho to win or stay competitive in Montana, we're going to have to shoot well. We're going to have to shoot over 50% from the field, over 40% from three. No question. That's, that's the route. We have not shown the ability to stop teams on the defensive end. Montana is a team that didn't have much trouble with us in terms of scoring. For us to win, because of how persistently bad our defense has been this year, we can just accept the defense on Idaho is just not good. Uh, we, I, we need Montana to have some trouble with foul trouble. Likely, a co is the big one we need to struggle there. Mike Loguine is a candidate too. And we have to shoot well. We will have to have big games from our big three, Cam Tyson, Jared Rodriguez, and Trayvon Allen. Or we're going to lose by around 20 points like we did in Moscow. And I don't know what else to go over. Um, Montana's good. Their scoring margin is the inverse of us. They win by more than 11 points a game. Well, we lose by more than 11 points a game. For the worst team in the league to beat a very good best team in the league, a lot of things have to go right 
for that worst team in the league. So for Idaho, we have to shoot unbelievably well. And we need Montana to struggle. A better chance uh, for us to win is going to be at Montana State Saturday, February 9th. Now that's an early tip-off, 1 p.m. Montana State on Saturday, they play their games early. Kind of like Eastern Washington does that. Their Eastern's our travel partner. Montana plays their games early. That's on Pluto TV as well. Montana State's a better matchup for Idaho than Montana. Uh, Montana's an awful matchup for just about anyone, uh, except maybe Weber State. Um, Idaho, uniquely, Montana's a bad matchup for because they have strong post scores and strong wings. So we, we just don't stop anyone there. Montana State's a better, a better option for us. They're the top-scoring team in the league. They score 82.3 points a game. They're not as efficient on offense as Montana because they, they play a faster pace. You know, Montana has an inside-out philosophy. They try to establish post first. Montana State's different. They don't do that. They spread the floor. They want, they want to shoot threes. They want to get penetration. They are the third-best field goal percentage uh, shooting team in the league at 46.9%. But that number is a little bit lower than a team like Montana because they shoot more threes. So overall, that should impact your field goal percentage in a negative way. They are the number 10 scoring defense. That is where we have a chance because Montana State can't stop teams the way Montana can, which is why there's that gap between those two teams right now. The number 10 scoring defense is something we can look to exploit. Whereas against Montana, we're going we're gonna to struggle like we did last time to get good shots where Trayvon Allen really just carried the offense and no one else did much. Uh, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be creative against Montana in a way we haven't been. You know, I, I went on that, went on about our offensive creativity earlier. If we're not creative against Montana, we're just going to get stomped. Montana State, they're a team that their defense is not a strong suit. We might just get some open shots anyway. But I'm hoping we're aggressive in terms of getting Cam Tyson threes, in terms of getting Jared Rodriguez wing touches, in terms of getting Trayvon Allen transition opportunities. We need to be aggressive. That's how, that's our route to winning. Our defense is so bad, we have to have a strong offense, or we just don't really have a shot. And Montana State's the better matchup because their defense is not great. But their offense, man, can they light it up. Montana State scored 104 against Idaho State before their, after their game against Weber State. 104 points in a 40-minute basketball game. Idaho scored 48 points total against Sacramento State. Then we scored 53 points total against Portland State. In those two games combined, we scored fewer points than Montana State scored against Idaho State in one game. That's how many points this team can score if they're hitting their shots. Montana State's also got the third-best scoring margin in the league. They win by an average of 5.5 points a game. Now, that is a pretty big drop-off when you compare it to Montana being number one at 11.2. 5.5 is more indicative of, hey, they, they win most of their games, but you know, losing's on the table. Five points isn't that, that much of a gap between the game being close. That's two, two th made three-point shots or them missing two three-point shots that they would have made otherwise. Now, surprisingly, relative to their pace, Montana State has the best turnover margin in the league at plus 3.18. Now, part of that's because they have multiple guys who can – handle the ball at the level of a point guard, specifically Harold Frey, who made my second team all league. Uh, but Laurie, Mar Laurie Narkinen, he's a, a strong ball handler as well. They've got a couple guys off the bench who can do that. They also have guards like Tyler Hall. they got wings like Kelvin Bludgeon. They, Montana State's got the ability uh, to put the ball in anyone's hand in transition and do well. That's, that's how a team can play a fast place 
like Montana, a fast pace like Montana State does, while still not really turning the ball over much. And that's going to be a, a big deal for us. If, if Montana State can turn the ball over a few times, we're in the game. But Idaho kind of has narrowed down the strategy for playing Montana State. Uh, some of the ESPN shows out of Missoula have commented on this, which is, you know, Montana State's leading scorer is Tyler Hall. He averaged 22.2 points a game. Idaho was one of the first teams to defensively say, you know what, Tyler Hall, we're going to let you shoot. We're not going to leave you open, but we are, we're not going to send help for you. If, he, if Tyler Hall scores 35 points, he's going to score 35 points. So Tyler Hall is not a great shot creator. He shoots a ton of contested tough shots. He's just an elite shooter, uh, but he has nights where he misses. Um, it's going to be more important for Idaho to contain Harold Frey. Harold Frey averages 18 points a game, but he also averages around five assists per game. He is their guard who generates shots for other players. Tyler Hall doesn't do that. Harold Frey does. And if both Hall and Frey, who average 40 points between them, you know, if they do that against Idaho, we're probably going to lose. Uh, but if we can have one of those guys not play as well, and the big candidate is to not let Harold Frey penetrate, to not let him get open shots, and hope Hall misses some of his shots too, because he does take some bad shots. He does miss those some nights. That's kind of the route to Idaho winning. The other route is the third leading scorer for Montana State, Kelgen Blevins. He's a senior. He's a transfer from Southern Miss. He's kind of had an up-and-down season that he started off pretty rough, tried to penetrate a lot, really didn't do too well first quarter of the season. He's been playing more as a slasher and shooting catch-and-shoot shots since. He's averaging 11.6 points a game. He's their third guy. Idaho needs to find a way to limit two of those three guys, and I guarantee the Idaho target is going to be Harold Frey and Kelvin Blevins because Tyler Hall will get the shots he wants because he shoots some pretty bad shots. He's just a six foot five elite shooter. He can get them off in the big sky. So it's going to be important for Idaho on the defensive end. We can't get beaten by, by all three of those guys. We need to completely take at least one of Tyler Hall, Harold Frey or Kelvin Blevins off the table. Harold Frey is likely going to be the guy that Don Verlin thinks we need to limit him the most. And as a metric, you know, I use it for Idaho. In terms of enthusiasm, Montana State averages 3,236 fans per game. That is off of a disappointing season where Montana State finished with a, a losing record in conference. Um, they're, they're in the hunt right now for a first-round bye. You know, Montana State is 6-5 and five in conference, 9-12 and 12 overall. They had a pretty rough non-conference schedule, much tougher than Idaho. But again, that's part of what you see. When If the program is at least solid, you can get some people in there. So when Idaho goes on the road against these Montana schools, it's a true home court advantage. There really are fans that show up there. There really are fans who are not only wanting to see Montana and Montana State win, they want to see Idaho lose. And Montana State is our best shot at coming away with a win our route to doing that is one we cannot get destroyed by the Montana State offense, which is which is a real problem. Uh, they're the best scoring offense in the league, but the Montana State defense is rough. As a reference point, they, they gave up in that game. They scored 104 points against Idaho State. They gave up 84 points. They scored 104 against Idaho State, but they gave up 84. Idaho State is the second worst scoring team in the league. They average 68 points a game. That's around what we do. We average 65. If Idaho State can score against them, that means we can. We'll have to do it with penetration from Trayvon. We're going to have to get some assists out of him because 
our only other guy on the team who generates assists and open shots via penetration, Xavier Smith. He didn't play against Southern Utah. I don't know why. Uh, against Northern Arizona in the limited minutes he got, he scored seven points. But he, he's out of the rotation. So for us, we're going to have to have a b- better game for Trayvon than we've seen the last couple games. We're going to have to have Cam Tyson make threes. We're going to have to have Jared Rodriguez play solid, hopefully not in the post from the wing and in. And we're going to have to have some guy, some combination of Scott Blakeney, Rayquanis Mitchell, Gino West, maybe even Cassius Smith-Francisco. One of those guys is going to have to make shots too. Otherwise, we're looking at 1-11. The road trip to Montana is tough. Montana has fans at both arenas. You know, Montana has a unique setup of they don't have other Division I teams in that region other than Montana and Montana State. There are no pro teams in that region. The only sports game in town in the state of Montana is University of Montana and Montana State University. They get a different type of attention because of that in terms of media focus. They get a different type of a, attention in terms of in-game attendance. And to me, this is probably the roughest road trip in the league. And as Idaho fans, we got to hope we get something out of this. Montana State's the best shot, the best shot we have. Um, but circling back to that earlier point, we're now moving back to, as an Idaho fan, you got to be happy if you see some growth. Because we've been regressing for about six consecutive games. And I, I don't know how much more losing the fan base can take. You know, I, I didn't think it was possible to head into this basketball season and think someone could make our football team look like a juggernaut. And our, our football team has won as many games as our basketball team. It's an incredible stat to think about. Our football team that we were disappointed about, and reasonably so, you know, our football team, they had some ugly losses, but they didn't have a single bad loss. They lost to only FBS teams, FCS playoff teams, or fringe FCS playoff teams. Our men's basketball team, man, we only have three competitive Big Sky games at all. The team's got to show the fans something. They've got to give us something to go with. Otherwise, you know, the team's getting tough to watch. You know, I, I don't want to discourage people from watching because I'm an Idaho fan. I always will be. But it, it's been a rough month. You know, January was rough for the University of Idaho men's basketball team. For the few fans who are tuning in, it was rough too. You know, I hope that we're giving the listeners more to go with. I hope that the li- you guys as listeners appreciate the work that we're doing. And I hope that as listeners, we're giving you guys ammunition for when the team is is hopefully playing better next year or I don't like to live here, but I do hope you can listen to this. And if you are a fan, one of the many disgruntled fans um, of coach Don Verlin, you know, for a while, all Vandals had two separate fire coach Don Verlin threads. I hope you guys can listen to this and come away with some specific ammunition. If you are going to be a critic of coach Verlin. Um, And to me, if you're going to be a critic of him, you need to, you need to be talking about the offense. that's not being creative and not putting out, our players at this point in a situation to succeed in not establishing an offensive identity that is just so obvious for a team that only has two total posts and two total wings who are not ball handling guards. That should be a spread it out team. That should be a team that's attacking the basket, but we are systemically not doing that. Our offense is actively making it difficult for our own players to get to the rim with how we, just throw posts who are non-scoring threats right in the paint, and then there's nowhere to go. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're a Vandal fan listening and you are wanting to be critical of the coach, please be specific. Please talk about the offense that I have laid out for you guys. Talk about the defense, where we have had zero 
games with a defensive rating above, below 100 the entire season, and all but three of those games were 110 or more, which is just preposterous. So if, you, if you're going to be antagonistic, at least be educated, at least be sharp about it. And after that great sales, sales job on the upcoming games, remember to tune in. Pluto TV on Thursday, 6 p.m. against the University of Montana. Pluto TV on Saturday, 1 p.m. versus Montana State University. I want to thank everyone who downloaded. This Thursday, which will coincide with when this podcast drops, my next article for the Montana Mint will be published. It'll be another Big Sky Deep Dive where it's a where I go over every single team. Every single team gets about three paragraphs or so of analysis. Every single team has key players and stats listed. If you care about Big Sky, if you care about knowing the names who are good this year, if you care about learning the names about who will be good next year, make sure to go to montana-mint.com, read that article, or you can follow me on Twitter. You'll see me post it. I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank you for coming back in the midst of this just devastating basketball season on the heels of an awful football season. But we know at some point it has to get better at the very least for basketball. It almost cannot possibly get worse. You know, we, we truly are in the discussion for worst team in the nation. It can't get worse than that. Something has to happen eventually. But again, thanks for supporting us. If you're a business looking to advertise or interested in sponsoring the podcast, Make sure to email us at tubsintheclub at gmail.com. We have a vetting process. So make sure to contact us if that interests you. And otherwise, see you next week. And as always, go Vance.